0: Listeners be advised that this podcast contains graphic language about experiences of military life.
1: Josue Barone was a member of the elite Marine unit called 3-5 Dark Horse. These Marines are known for taking part in major conflicts in very heavy areas of battle, like Helmand Province in Afghanistan. They sustained some of the highest casualty rates of the war. Josue was on his first deployment to Afghanistan in October 2010 when he got hit by an improvised explosive device, or IED. He lost a leg in the sight in one eye and received the Purple Heart for his injuries. Last spring, I drove four days cross country to Josue's home in California. Two of his sons were playing in the driveway when I pulled up to the house. And Josue, knowing my South Texas heart, had carne asada waiting on the grill. This is Out of Uniform. I'm Tim Kolczak, an Army combat veteran who fought in Iraq. What's important to me now is to tell our stories, unfiltered. I travel the country visiting with veterans. The road gives me time to think and process what I hear. One of the first things Josue and I talked about was where he grew up, in Cudahy, California, with his mom and six brothers. It's a rough place known for warring street gangs.
0: And I think uh, not having a, a male role model like my father in, in our lives, the streets quickly, you know, took me. I was always, you know, looking for a place to fit in, you know what I mean? For somebody to be my voice, you know, be my leader that I need in my life, you know, because my mom, there was so much that she can do for me, but there was nothing that, um, that she can teach me about becoming a man. And I started hanging, on with, hanging around with um, some of the guys in the neighborhood. And most of the people there are going through the same thing that I'm going through. They were kind of like my brothers. They had my back. And we wanted to be known. And we wanted to evolve in, in, in the gang lifestyle. You know, make a name for ourselves. And like I said, majority of the guys that I will hang out with, they were raised by single moms. You know, their moms, like my mom came from Mexico at late in their teen years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... We all have something in common, you know, we're all missing one piece in our lives that could really change our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been a guy who, um, who respected my mom so much because I understood that everything that she was doing wasn't easy. You know what I mean? I never wanted to give my mom problems. I never wanted to create another stress for her when she already has all this stress. You know, I would be in the streets, you know, doing my thing and I would come home by midnight because my mom wanted me home by midnight. You know what I mean? So none of my, a lot of my friends didn't know that I had a curfew, that I had all this, you know? You were a responsible gang member. I was a re- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was a responsible guy. I was just that guy who, you know, wanted to be the getaway driver. Like, I'm, I'll drive for you guys, you know, you guys go do what you gotta do.
1: So, you know, you, you talk about some of those experiences and growing up and, But there was a part of you, right? That like, you know, you you yearned to do good. You yearned to please your mom. You wanted her to feel excited about your future, right? Yeah. And so that good side, that responsible side that really felt that, that's probably the side of you that really wanted to join the Marine Corps, right?
0: Yeah. uh, As soon as, you know, as I got older too, I kind of, I realized, I'm like, man, this is not... My life, you know what I mean? This is not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And at 17, I was kind of having doubts. You know what I mean? I was. I already had been shot at. I knew that I didn't want to kill nobody.
1: Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? I didn't want to kill nobody because I knew that that person was just like me. And I I felt like there was more to my life than just this. The best thing about joining the military the way I did was that I had no idea what was gonna happen. Mm. And once I got in there, I understood what I had to do. And what I had to do was just shut the, shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and do what you gotta do and that's it. Yeah, You don't talk, you don't say nothing, you just yes sir, no sir, that's it. And, and I'm gonna survive. Do you think something about that street lifestyle and that hard
1: lifestyle really kind of combs you and you know gets you ready for the for that type of life in the military?
0: Yeah, you know it definitely it definitely gets you ready. But with me, there was another another issue. I w- I was struggling with English, so mm. for me, my mom spoke Spanish. That's all she you know she didn't she didn't speak English. So me growing up, I spoke nothing but Spanish. So by the time I got to the Marine Corps, I had trouble. Hmm. So for me, it was more like. Just stay quiet. Don't say anything. So I felt like I, I didn't get that. Um, I was more intimidated right. to open my mouth. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But then along the way, I'm the fastest runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could do more pull-ups, you know? So all these things are just, I'm getting noticed. You know what I mean? They're like, oh man, this guy works hard. He does He does everything fast. You know what I mean? Right. So
1: you you make it through boot camp. Yeah. And then when you go to one of the most well-known Marine Corps units in history, 3-5, yeah.
0: right? Yeah.
1: What was it like when you got to
0: 3-5? So when I get there, it's quiet, it's peaceful, you know what I mean? You're, I'm like, man, this is this is the infantry? You know, this is going to be, this is, it's not that bad, you know? This was
1: 2008. Josue was stationed at Camp Pendleton in Southern California, training with some members of his infantry unit. Many of the others were deployed to Iraq, where they experienced brutal battles in Ramadi and Fallujah. Jusui told me when some of those Marines returned to the base in the U.S., they were still itching for a fight.
0: They were hungry. They looked at us like, you guys are L- L- our, L- our little animals. Yeah. You, know, you guys are going to do whatever we tell you to do. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who um, they didn't like him. He was from, um, he was from Nicaragua. And his english was real broken Mm -hmm. and um one of the seniors uh kicked him in the stomach a couple times at night and hazed him. and in the next morning our lieutenant came to take us on a run and we had to you know pick up rocks along the way and throw them and he couldn't even pick up a a little rock because his abs were hurting him Mm -hmm. and he wasn't gonna tell lieutenant because he didn't want to be a snitch you know what i mean yeah but we all knew like man he's hurt and he just disappeared He never came back He went away Wow So it was It was shit like that You know what I mean Yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah And that's definitely The dark side of yeah. Being in an infantry unit too I've seen stuff like that
0: before You know When I became a senior I kind of, I understood I was like man Like I understand there's traditions I understand there's um There's shit that you gotta go through Right But To hurt somebody You know Where you're You're like Making him incapable Of being A rifleman And you know having your back yeah yeah it's like why would why why would you want to do that you know what i mean like why you're taking out your own guys you're taking your own guys out of the fight
1: this is out of uniform we'll be back in just a moment with Josue's orders to go to Afghanistan and the split second incident that changed his life forever don't go away If you're enjoying the show, here's another podcast you'll like, What the Health. I'm Julie Rovner, host of the show and Chief Washington Correspondent at Kaiser Health News. Every week, top reporters from outlets including the New York Times, Politico, and CNN join me to discuss the latest health and health policy news. Confused by all the health policy jargon? We'll break it down in terms that are easy to understand. KHN's What the Health. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Out of Uniform. I'm Tim Kolczak. Josue Barone was eager to deploy. I know how he felt. When guys come back from combat, they're telling their war stories and you have no idea what that experience is like. You're wondering what you would do in certain situations, what you're made of. And there is a certain amount of disrespect for the guys who don't have a combat patch on their shoulder sleeve. In the Army, we call them slick sleeves. But finally, Josue got the order. He was going to war. So then you get to Afghanistan, and what was three five
0: tasked with? What were y'all? What was y'all's job over there? Just provide security, you know, provide security, and then show up presence in the area. And I think what is it, October twenty first, two thousand ten. Um, I get hit. You know, and, and, and it's something that I never imagined was going to happen. Yeah. Like you either have an image that you're going to get shot or you're going to die, but never that you're going to lose a limb. Right. I was more kind of, I was upset. I was upset because I was like, damn, why me? You know what I mean? Like, fuck, I don't want to leave this place. You know, I, 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 I didn't want to leave. And I think. In my mind, I it was more like I'm leaving my friends behind. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that was probably the hardest part for me. Like I'm leaving my friends behind, and I'm out of the fight. Mm,
1: yeah, you know. So, what? What do you remember up until the moment, or how much do you remember up until when it happened? I,
0: I remember, you know, even be, right before we even stepped stepped out to, on the patrol, and my friend, which is. Uh, uh I'm I'm second team leader, he's the first team leader. My my squad leader tells him, Hey, get your team ready, we're gonna go out. So I told my squad leaders, I'll get my team and I'll go. And my engineer, you know, he's 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 a minesweeper. Yeah. So we're depending on him to get us there safe. So, you know, he's taking his time, is the metal detector's beeping and you know, he's stopping and I could see my squad leader getting a little frustrated, you know, because he's like, hurry the fuck up, you know, we got to get there. My squad leader, he's already, there's already his fourth deployment, you know what I mean? Wow, yeah. And, you know, we get to the location, we do what we got to do, and we're like, fuck it, let's take the same route back. Mm -hmm. On the way back, same thing, the engineer stopping, you know, trying to get his little reads, trying to take it serious, because he's new, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then my squad leader's like, you know, he kind of tells him, get out of the way, like he takes point without sweeping. And me and my engineer behind him, we take a couple steps and we fucking blow up. Oh, wow. Me and my engineer blow up and my squad leader gets a concussion, shrapnel goes into my face, my eyes, and I'm blind. I can feel pain on my left leg, but I can't see anymore. So I, I can't see myself, you know, if I'm missing my leg or not, but I just feel pain. Yeah. And, and then from there, they put me in the, in the helicopter a couple minutes, like I think 15 minutes later, Medivac gets there and picks me up and they put me in the, on the bird and I knock out and that's it.
1: Josue was taken to the military hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, now commonly known as Walter Reed. His wife Debbie was flown to the hospital from Southern California. They'd only been married a few months.
0: And I wake up in in Bethesda a couple of days later and I can't see and and everything is just black. And then I can hear the doctor telling my wife, do you tell him or I tell him, you know, that he lost his leg. The doctor told me, hey, um, you lost your left leg and I'm blind. So I reached down with my hand and I'm like, there's nothing there anymore, you know? Yeah. My next question was like, when am I going to see like, what about my vision? Yeah. And the doctors were like, oh, we don't know. Only time will tell.
1: What had happened to your eyes?
0: So the shrapnel came from the bottom when I stepped on the landmine and it hit my face. And I got shrapnel on both of my eyes. Wow. When I got to the hospital, they were both popping out like huge fucking eyeballs and I couldn't close my eyelids. And the nurses had to live them up every couple hours because they were they were open. Wow. They wouldn't close. swelling. They were real big. Yeah. And then throughout time, they started shrinking. And it was blurrier, but I was able to see a little better, you know?
1: That was in one eye. Josue lost the sight in the other, and he also lost his left leg above the knee. That's a more difficult operation than below. It's also a more difficult recovery. His prosthetic had to be hooked up at his hip, which makes walking a real challenge. It's also painful, he says, almost all the time. After his operation and initial recovery, Josue was moved to the Balboa Regional Medical Center in California, where he learned how to walk all over again.
0: So it took me a while just to get used to where I'm at right now. And I remember while I was still recovering at Balboa, I would go home to L.A. and I wanted to still hang out with my friends from my neighborhood. Yeah. By this time, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, they ended up getting into the gang because eventually you can't be in that small crew forever. Right. You have to join the gang. Yeah. So all my friends got into the gang. And I go back and I still want to hang out with these guys because I'm like, man, these guys have done you know, they're my brothers. You know what I mean? I feel like they're my brothers, you know, yeah. we've been through so much together. And I go back to one of my friends' house. He's having he's having a little party for the for a boxing fight. And we're hanging out in, in the house, in his house. And we're hanging out in the front porch because the family is inside the living room, and we're watching the fight from the porch. It's a big window behind us. A car pulls up, and you know I'm 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 with my cane. I'm barely learning how to walk. I'm standing there, you know, just watching the fight. And this car pulls up behind us, and he just gets off. And it and I remember the car. I knew who he was because he had gone to high school with us, Mm. but we didn't get along with him. Yeah. So he gets off and he he shoots at us and everybody runs and I can't run anymore. Wow. So I just dropped to the floor and that was a turning point for me. That was kind of like the day that I was like, if I die right here and survive Afghanistan and people are calling me a hero, I'm going to be an embarrassment to my family. I'm going to be, you know, be an embarrassment to everything that I'm starting to believe in, in the military that I'm like, man, you know, I fought for my country, you know? And it took me a while to believe that, too. It took me a while to get to that point where I was like, I'm proud of my service. You know, I'm proud of what I've done. And then for me to get killed in L.A. after I survived an IED, it clicked in my head. And I was like, I can't do this no more. I can't hang out with my friends. And not because I don't like them, but it's just not my life anymore. You know what I mean? It's not. I have something else to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. You
1: were going down a different path.
0: Yeah, I was going down a different path and I was becoming I I didn't want to see it like that you know an inspiration to people you know what I mean yeah like giving other amputees hope or giving people hope that is like man if somebody could go through something tough like that and and keep pushing then I can motivate somebody along the way you know but if I if I stay here in LA and I hang out with my friends and and I continue this lifestyle it's it's not gonna end well
1: how did 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 Debbie try to convince you a little bit out of that, you know, and and talk to you about that? Or did she kind of just let you carve your own path
0: mentally and figure all that out yourself? I mean, I think she, you know, she kind of let me take my own path. She was supporting me with whatever I had to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't understand what she was going through too, you know what I mean? Because we had just met like a year, like a year before I left to Afghanistan so then i get injured you know what i mean so i've only known her for a year and i get injured wow so it's like you know she's only she probably just i think she had just turned 20 when i got injured and it's like man like she has an option too to run away you know what i mean yeah she has an option to be like man i just met this guy like i gotta get the fuck out of here you know like (laughs) i don't want to deal with a lot of
1: women did yeah
0: yeah you know what i mean so i never understood you know how strong of a person she really was to kind of just deal with that and like be like i'm gonna stick with this guy and help him out now I, I i look back and i'm like man you know you you see how strong that person next to you is yeah you know what i mean it's super rare very yeah. rare no no and and i always knew it was genuine you know what i mean I, I always knew it was real because i I had no money you know what i mean I'm a, I'm a lance corporal i'm a young guy I'm from Cudahy. Yeah. She, she found the guy from Cudahy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which is like, we're, we're not doing well. You know. What she I mean? didn't
1: find some Bel Air dude. Yeah, like. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: And she was never used to a guy like me, like being in gangs or in crews, you know what I mean? Like she she never lived that lifestyle. Right. But there was something that she saw in me that she was like, man, she I don't think she saw me as no gangster or none of that shit. You know, she didn't see none of that in me. Yeah, she just saw, you know, that I was a nice guy.
1: You know, Josue, I don't think we've ever talked too much about your mental struggles, but you know, did you did you struggle a lot mentally when you when you got started going through rehab and you know started finding your way or how did you deal with any of that or did you not feel a trauma
0: mentally? You know what. The, the the toughest part was just accepting myself mm. you know accepting myself and accepting that you're missing a leg buddy you know what i mean like you're you're missing an eye so whoever looks at you a certain way get used to it yeah and that in the beginning the first couple of years that was real tough for me because i was embarrassed i was embarrassed to to go to to go into a restaurant i was embarrassed to walk around people because i was incompetent about myself
1: yeah did you do you think being did you think getting into athletics and things like that really helped with that confidence as far as knowing you could still do still live an active lifestyle and still create something of a of a legacy for yourself as an athlete?
0: Yeah I think uh, disabled sports really helped me out yeah because when I got to the hospital too they introduced me to wheelchair basketball cycling and all this that that I felt like I had other guys in there going through the same thing too. Mm. You know what I mean? So I've always, like like I said, you know, I went to the streets because I was looking for that for that brotherhood or those friends, you know. In the Marine Corps, I picked out my friends and I was like, man, this is my team here, you know. And then when I got injured as an amputee, I fell in that, in, in that category again and I started looking for people that I can relate to. Yeah. And it was other amputees. It was other guys from different units that had just gone through the same shit that I did. And now here we are playing wheelchair basketball and we're traveling as a team. And now I'm not afraid to walk into a mall and with other amputees because we're all walking strong, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're all joking, laughing about it now. And it's like, hell yeah, you know? Yeah. You're not the only one that people are staring at anymore. All of that helped me out, you know? It helped me out the first couple of years. And then eventually I was ready to be on my own. I was like, fuck, like, I didn't want people to know me. Oh man, you know, he's an amputee, he has a purple heart, you know, he he was this, you know, with three five or you know, he, he went to Afghanistan and he got injured and that's it. I want people to I've always like to me, that doesn't make me a hero. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't make me a hero because I got injured because I, I served. Like to me that's that's part of what I've been through and to me it was it was easy. Now, you know, I got I got kicked to the floor with my injury and you know, I was down. So the person that I become from that, that's what's gonna make me. You know what I mean? That's that's what I want to be known. I want to be known for somebody who went through all this shit, but created something, you know, with his life, you know what I mean? And did something positive and, and inspire other people, you know?
1: And talk about, you know, now you didn't have a positive male role model in your life, but now you've got three kids. So how important is it to you? How are you trying to change that, their lives and, and be different in the way that you never, you know, could? Because you didn't have that positive male influence. How, how are you trying to provide that for your for your sons now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like everything that I went through, you know, led me to this happiness. You know, now that I look back, I'm like, I, I was asking God, why, why me, why me, you know what I mean? And now I'm at the point in my life, and it's like, now I know why. Now I, I wake up with my kids every morning, make them breakfast, and I'm part of the life 24-7. Yeah. And for me, uh, not having that male role model in my life, and I look at my kids, and I see, you know, I do all the things with them. It kind of closes that gap that I was missing in the past. Yeah. Everything that I was missing, th- those feelings that I was missing in the past that were hurting me, that I was like, man, I can't believe I didn't have this, I didn't have that. Now that I do it for my kid, they're disappearing, you know what I mean? And it's like, it it, it blows my mind just how it just turned around. And, and, and something like that um, can heal me from everything that I thought was pain, you know what I mean?
1: You've obviously now, you know, having been out of the Marine Corps for a while, seen the problem with suicide and guys taking their own lives. But, you know, what would you say to those guys that are struggling from your unit, you know, that are having those troubles, you know, about getting getting up and finding something else, you know, finding a life because, you know, you and I had a great talk last night about guys that can't get away from their past. They're still telling the old war stories again and again and again. It's okay. It's okay to tell those stories from time to time. Like a reunion or, you know, like, you know, when you're amongst your buddies for like, you know, and and you're drinking or whatever and having a good time. But when it becomes like a repetitive thing where it's just like you're stuck in that same cycle in that loop, it's like, guys, this doesn't have to be the best part of your life,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I would tell these guys, you know, don't let that be your glory days. You know I mean? Look for something that's going to make you. Talk about for the rest of your life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something out here that that has nothing to do with war, that has nothing to do with um with combat, you know? Yeah. Like find something that that's gonna benefit you and your family.
1: Yeah. All those things that made you great as a Marine make you great in what you're doing now as a dad, and you bet you don't you don't live in that loop.
0: Yeah. And 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 like I will tell I will tell these guys it's like don't forget. who you were either you know what i mean like the good qualities that you had as a marine the moment that i said fuck what anybody thinks about me and i got my confidence back was the moment that i was like i'm gonna walk into this place with my head held high just you know do what you have to do and just don't create that negative bubble around you you know because the more you believe in something the more it becomes real
1: Josue Barone says he loves his role now as a stay-at-home dad for his three sons. He lives with his wife Debbie and children in Temecula, California, in a home provided by the Gary Sinise Foundation, which offers adaptable homes for the most severely wounded vets and first responders. Josue is also a Paralympic athlete who inspires others to walk strong and turn adversity into something positive. As my friend, he inspires me every single day. This is Out of Uniform, a podcast about the lives of veterans before, during, and after service. I'm the host, Tim Kolzak, an Army combat veteran. Out of Uniform's executive producer is Carson Frame, Texas Public Radio's military and veteran affairs reporter. The editor is Adam Kulikov, with help from Cindy Carpian. The theme music was written by Jacob Rizzotti, who also sound designs the show. This podcast is a production of Texas Public Radio and The Veterans Project. TPR's news director is Dan Katz. Joyce Slocum is president and CEO. You can hear the full interview and see my photographs of Josue Barone and other veterans at thevetsproject.com. If you or someone you know may be considering suicide, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741.